and welcome to Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast, a podcast to inspire you about outdoor travel and activities in the UK and across the world. I'm Hannah, and thanks for joining us for our latest fortnightly episode. Today, I'm, I'm really happy to be here with Jack Cornish, who is the head of paths at the Ramblers. Head of paths, I mean, that is that is a brilliant job title. So, hi, Jack. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, yeah, no, it's uh, it, the job title is probably grander than uh, <laughs> the job makes out. I don't know, but um, yeah, so I, I I lead the paths team at the Ramblers, and essentially, what we do as a team is uh, support thousands of volunteers across the country and directly as a team to make sure that we've got uh, an amazing path network for everyone to, to use across uh, across Great Britain. Yeah, and. That's a lot of paths to be head of. How many paths? Do you have any sort of numbers on that? So there's about 140, I think 144,000 miles of public rights of way in England and Wales, plus a slightly unknown number in Scotland, probably probably another uh, 30,000 miles of, uh, of paths in Scotland. So it's a, there's a lot of paths out there. And, you know, I mean, the amazing thing about the path network that we've, we've got across Britain is that it's, it's, it's not just about big signature national trails. It's about all of those little paths that are sort of hyper-local network that reaches into every community. So it could just be, you know, a small path that crosses a field and where someone lives or some big grand national trails in more sort of spectacular wild landscapes. So it's a massive variety of paths as well. Yeah, we're we're very lucky actually in the UK to have such access to a footpath network. I think people from other countries. We have we have a colleague from Australia, and she was just gobsmacked when when she arrived and and we went for a run at lunchtime once and and she was like, Are you, and you're just allowed to go through here, <laughs> and she she was really surprised that we just had that level of access, so we are, we're incredibly lucky, aren't we? Yeah, very much so, and I think, as you say, it's, you, you know, there's different t- sort of types of access in different countries around the world, but with our legally recorded and protected public rights of way network, you know, it's it's a relatively unique thing. And as you say, you speak to people in some, from some countries and the idea that you've got all of these public rights of way that, you know, 90 plus percent of them cross private land where you've got, you know, that sort of real solid legal protection that you know you have the right to be there and to use those paths. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. And I think the thing I love about the network is that it isn't, as I said, it isn't just about, you know, big waymark trails, but it is that sort of real network and real sort of spider's web of paths that are, are you know, across the whole country. It's amazing. Yeah, and that we have a right of, of way through private land is, yeah, it, and it is a legally protected right of way, but it's not always been that way. And people people have fought to to get the access that we've got can you tell us a little bit about that so public rights of way have existed as a as a concept for centuries because people have always needed to go from you know where they live to the field to the to the next village along to the next town along but in 1949 with the national parks and access to the countryside act that actually for the first time in england and wales meant that that local authorities had to proactively map and record public rights of way and so before it was a case of if there was a path that people always used a landowner could block it up and then that individual path had to be fought on an individual case whereas now the proactive recording of public rights of way it means that it gives organizations like the ramblers and it gives members of the public um the tools to be able to say well this is a public right of way and it's always been one and therefore you know it shouldn't be blocked it shouldn't be obstructed it should be signposted and so 
And so I think that that sort of proactive protection is is really important. Although it's worth saying that we know that, you know, there's that that legal public rights of way. But in practice, you know, we do find too many problems on our path network. And the Ramblers, we've got a network of, of thousands of volunteers that scrutinize any proposed changes to those public rights of way that lobby councils and and work proactively to make sure that that those public rights are open and usable for for the public yeah so i went on a walk the other day and it was it was a very boggy obviously not very well used path it was one of those i wanted to try and do a walk and the road was closed so i parked up near the closest footpath and just went for a bit of an experimental experimental walk and there was a fence a barbed wire fence across the footpath and the the farmer sort of let me through his gate um but it wasn't the footpath route he was just kindly letting me through this this gate um because he had not so kindly put barbed wire across the the access in a very practical sense how does the ramblers get involved in situations like that in a practical sense, we are not shy about making sure that issues like that are dealt with. Um, we would encourage that, you know, you or a member of the public that comes across an issue to make sure the first thing to do is to report it to the local council. The local, every local council have a, a duty to protect and assert the rights of the public to use the public rights of way network. And so they should be, they should be dealing with that and they should be informing the landowner to remove the obstruction. But the ramblers, you know, we know that doesn't always happen. So the Ramblers, we have volunteers that will, you know, follow those issues through. And in in some instances, we will also take legal action either against the council to fail in their failure to protect and assert the rights of the public or against landowners directly, because there should be an expectation that public rights of way are open and they're usable. And, you know, blocking a public right of way is the same. You know, I, I can't block the, the, the high street around the corner from me or the road outside my house. And public rights of way are are highways as much as as much as any of those any of those roads. And so there should be an expectation they are open and, and free for people to use. I think with the Ramblers, I think a lot of people will know the Ramblers for groups of people going for walks on a weekend. Maybe there's a, a local group that goes on a Sunday and they do organised walks. But maybe they don't realise the sort of the breadth of the work that you do as an organisation and how much lobbying you do and, and stuff like that. And that you are there working for an individual path on that level. And that, you know, if the council didn't quite get round to sorting out that fencing issue, there would be probably a volunteer that would pursue it. But as well as that, you're also going for the the more broad, um, like protecting our rights to the countryside and, and the footpaths. And an example of that um, is the Don't Lose Your Way campaign that you've been running. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so with Don't Lose Your Way, the, the, the real issue is that, as I say, we've got this 140-odd thousand miles of public rights away, and they're all shown on what's called the definitive map. Now, there isn't one definitive map. There are, I think, 140-odd definitive maps in different councils across the country. But that is the legal record of public rights away. 140 definitive maps. That's a, that's a contradiction in itself, surely. They aren't definitive. They don't show all the public rights away. Um 
So when the when the when those maps were first created in the in the late forties, fifties, and sixties, essentially we know that things were missed off. There were whole paths that were just not recorded as public rights of way, which should have been. And so our Don't Use Your Way project is about identifying those paths and supporting volunteers. And that could be anyone. We don't, you know, any member of the public who wants to help us is more than welcome to to research the history of that particular path and demonstrate that it should be a public right of way. And essentially how we do that is that there's a, a part of English law uh, called uh, once a highway, always a highway. So that basically means if something was a public right of way at any point in the past, and that any point goes back to the 12th century, then it should be a, a public right of way now. And so volunteers comb through local archives and look at old maps and old records to build up a picture that showed that the public did use that particular path in the past. That could be on foot, that could have been on horse and cart, your horseback, etc. Um, and, and if they can show there's that evidence for that public use in the path, then then it should be open to the public now. So we identified a couple of years ago about 49,000 miles of potential paths that aren't recorded on that map. And so we would love people to come and now join us and look at some of those paths in their area and see how they can get involved with with getting them some of them back on the map so they can be legally protected and used and enjoyed for for generations to come. Yeah, I mean, that's huge, isn't it? 49,000 potentially lost paths. It is. I mean, we know that we won't be able to save them all. Um, You know, there's been whole new towns uh, created in the last hundred years, (laughs) things like that. There's reservoirs and, you know, we found... Some that, you know, were marked up uh, under Heathrow Airport and things like that. So we know we won't be able to save them all. And each one, you know, require, even if it could be, you know, put back on the map, it actually, it requires that evidence to be brought together and and um, and presented to the council to make sure it goes back on the map. And so we're we're focused on you know the ones that will be, make the biggest difference um, to communities, so that the link up you know one village to another that that resolve dead ends that link to things like the coastal path that that's being created around around uh, England and and Wales. You know, so we we really want to we do want to focus on those, but it, it it's a big task. And so we we'd love any help that we can get from from your listeners. And why is there a cutoff date for that and when is that currently there is a cutoff date of the 1st of january 2026 um that was set uh back in the year 2000 and it was introduced at the time even though the ramblers weren't massively happy about it to give certainty to landowners about what public rights of way were on their land the government in wales and the uk government for england have both announced their intention to get rid of that cutoff date and we're making sure they follow through on that. And I think they're, they're doing that partly because they can see the scale of what's missing. And actually, you know, we, we can't have this arbitrary deadline for recording public rights, um, you know, because adding, you know, just even if it was 20% of those paths that are missing back to the map would A, it would make a massive difference to how people can access the countryside and, and, and our, you know, towns and cities and suburbs, you know, and that's that's crucial for everything from the health and well-being of the country to tackling things like, um, you know, the climate crisis that we've got now. But also these paths, you know, I think it's something that's overlooked sometimes, represent a real key part of our, our collective heritage and history. And they're sort of, you know, they were created by people needing to, to move around the landscape and people interacting with their landscapes. And so, you know, we need to have them protected because they're part of that sort of working class history of the country that that, that needs to be 
recorded and protected and, and enjoyed for, for generations to come. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, setting a, a deadline when you are a, a charity working with mostly volunteers, you know, that is, it's an ambitious project, but the, the struggles that you will face being a charity and that, you know, you're not going to be able to just employ teams and teams of people to go out and, and do all that checking for you. That's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult. It's an immense task. And I think when people realise a little bit more about what the Ramblers do and the benefit that they get, um, I think people would be very grateful because these changes are not just benefiting Ramblers members. You know, you don't have to donate to Ramblers. You don't have to be a member of the Ramblers to massively, massively benefit from from these changes that you're doing and the walks that will be maintained. I mean, another thing that you do is the the signposting and the the sort of maintenance of paths. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that as well? We've got teams that go out and they they work sort of on behalf of the local authority and working with local authorities in in most cases, sometimes with big landowners as well, to to maintain and improve the path. So. That could be really important stuff like cutting back vegetation so people can actually get through on the paths. But they also do things to make the paths better. So, for instance, we've got a a team on the Isle of Wight who are just about to install their 250th gate to replace a style. So that is making the countryside much more accessible um, for for more people. you know, we and we've got teams that do that all across the country that that are um, you know removing barriers that that shouldn't be there or don't need to be there on the network, so more people can can enjoy the park network. And so yeah, they do an amazing job, and I think it's it's worth saying that for all of this work that our volunteers do, you don't need to be a member of the Ramblers to to benefit from it, but also you don't need to be a member to to join in. We'd love to have more people come and work with us and join with us on the full range of of work we do to to protect and expand our path network but you know if when i when i go walking i've got two dogs and styles can be a huge problem because they're not on the maps they're not marked as what type of style they are so you know the ramblers going and swapping out styles for gates on my one walk on one day that would make my day that would make the difference but again it's one of those things that it's like nobody really knows who does it. And you don't see these big banners saying, the Ramblers have improved this path for you today. So I think a lot of the work that you do and a lot of the work that the volunteers do just goes a bit under the radar. Maybe being a member, because you are a charitable organisation, maybe for everybody who went on a walk and everybody appreciated the work that you did, did sign up to be a member you know that would that would have an enormous impact on the work that you could then do in the future yeah definitely i mean we've you know it's um we, we'd love anyone to to become a member or to to donate to us um so we can do we can do more of this work there's always more work to do on the path network whether that's through the the physical maintenance and improvement but also you know the network of volunteers that we've got who scrutinise every single proposed change to the network. So I think last year we had about 1,200 proposals to divert or extinguish public rights of way. And our volunteers look through every single one of those and decide whether to oppose. And then if we oppose, you know, there's there's a lot of other work to come from that. And so, you know, we, we would love more people to support us in any way they can. And that, 
that could be joining as a member and getting access to some of the benefits there or you know monthly donation or 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 with time to support our volunteering because you know i think i think it's it, it, without the ramblers we wouldn't have the network we have today and that's because of all that action that our volunteers are doing year by year but also for for our work to call for legislation so i don't think the the, the act that records public rights away on those definitive maps would have happened in the first place if it wasn't for the ramblers the the english coast path wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the ramblers and, and open access land that you get in england and wales and and the land reform act in scotland that allows you know the right to roam in scotland wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for the ramblers so you know, we'd love people to 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 support us to make sure that that we can do more, both on that big legislative front, but also those thousands of actions that are happening across the country to to, to protect and safeguard the the path network. On behalf of everybody who has ever done a walk in the UK, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jack and the Ramblers, because yeah, I, I do think a lot of the work that the Ramblers does go flies under the radar, and it is really important. And I'm sure everybody has at one time appreciated and, and benefited from the, the work that you do. Yeah, you just mentioned the England Coast Path. How have you been involved with that? So the Ramblers were involved in in the lobbying for the legislation in the first place. Um, and it's a really, in, you know, I could go on it for about it for hours, but it's a really interesting piece of legislation because it doesn't just create a linear path. It creates a sort of a band of access land which means that people have the right to access to the to the high tide mark so they can go down onto the beaches and things like that but also it means that path moves if the if the land slips and things like that so we were involved in in lobbying and getting that legislation in the first place and then our volunteers across across England um, have been working on the consultations for every single stretch of coastal path so they've been consulted and they work with um, with Natural England and others to to get the best you know line for that coastal path, the one that is the most um, you know the closest to the coast, the most enjoyable and the most protected, you know. And it's been a, a massive amount of work they've all done, and we're coming now to the sort of last stretches that are opening, and it's going to be amazing for people to be able to walk around the whole of the whole of the coastline. Yeah, and we had this conversation with Andrew McCloy has written a, a book for Great Walks on the England Coast Path, and and he was he was quite excited about this the sort of zone of access that you've got because then if you know if a chunk of the path becomes unusable for any reason, you don't have to then lobby and apply for a new access around it you can you know it it is that it's that zone so you've got that flexibility of rerouting the path if if you get a high tide or if you get rockfall or something like that so that's it's it's a massive piece of work up front but hopefully that will limit the amount of ongoing work you'll have to do to maintain that the access to that route anyway yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think about especially the, the east coast of England, um, the rate of erosion in some places, um, you know, is massive and, and speeding up, in, you know. And so if you just had a linear path, like a, a normal public right of way, you can just imagine that getting breached in so many places. And then what do you do? You have to walk all the way back to where you started again how do you get around that um or maybe you have to go onto a busy road and, and things like that and so the the ability for the path to be able to move in line with with the shifting coastline i think you know it, it's a really interesting piece of legislation in it, and i think it will really 
you know, safeguard that protection in, in, in the long term and, and make it a usable path. It's the it's the longest coastal path in the world. And it's fantastic that it will it will be maintained and protected by that. Yeah, it's incredible. I, I just can't wait to to see it all opened and finished. I think it's quite I know that it has the del- the opening has been delayed a little bit. But given the given the global events of the past couple of years, I think it's done it's done well to not be delayed more than it has. And again, that is credit mostly to the the volunteers and the people out there grafting. There's just been so much work to do for it. Definitely. And hopefully, you know, as you say, with given the events of the past couple of years, I think it's a real, you know, it's a good news story, you know, that that we've got this these new places to walk and this protected access. So, you know, there's there's obviously sections that people, you know, there's already a path there, but putting on this additional access gives extra protection to some of those paths that have, have long been there. And it's fantastic to be able to link up all of these places and that you could, you know, theoretically, you could get to your nearest bit of coast and you could just keep on walking around. And I think that's a really sort of <laughs> inspiring idea. And, and, you know, hopefully it would just get better and better, you know, with things like, through Don't Lose Your Way and for other schemes, you know, more linking to the coastal path and things like that, because there are quite long sections where, you know, you go quite a long way until you can sort of get back off the coastal path and do a circular walk or something like that. It's a fantastic uh, achievement. And as you say, it's a, it's a testament to all the work of, of the volunteers and also the local authorities that are in those areas and government agencies that have put a massive amount of work in over the last 10 years or so to, to sort of see that piece of legislation and that dream come become a reality. Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Um, and then not to forget about Scotland, What's happening yeah. on happening with your Mapping Scotland's Paths project? Our, our Rambler Scotland team are working on on a, a project called Mapping Scotland's Path, which is about, you know, in Scotland, you've got this amazing access, right? You've got this sort of this right of responsible access where you can, you know, most most land you can access. We identified there was a challenge with that, which is, yeah, you can access it, but how do you know where you where physically you can go and where the paths are, where are the routes through those landscapes? And so we've created through Mapping Scotland's Paths the most complete map of paths in Scotland. And it's it's fantastic. And if you go on the website, you can see where all of these paths are. And we've got that data from from landowners, from local authorities and and other organisations and and brought it together. And and now we've got volunteers that going out and, you know, we get some information. There's a path here. Well, actually, we need to go and check it and see if it is there and what the quality of it and audit, audit it. So. Yeah, we've now got volunteers going out and doing that and we you know, love more people to come and support us on that because, you know, sometimes it, it can be difficult to, to know where where to actually go on a walk in Scotland because you don't have you have that different conception of paths and, and rights of way. So so, yeah, people can check out the map online and, and and see what's in their local area. So we've already talked about membership a little bit. Um, and one of the problems, I suppose, for trying to recruit members is that people do get the benefits without being a member. So what are the specific member benefits to to joining the Ramblers? Uh, yeah, there, 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 there definitely are. So so if you're a member of the Ramblers, we've got uh, an amazing walks library. So you can get on the app on your phone, you can get access to sort of walks that have been created by other members with lots of, you know, points of interest. And so there's lots of, of those walks, but also you can, you know, you can join group walks. So I know, you know, not, not always for everyone, you know, it depends, you know, what sort of personality you are really, but we have 
thousands of walks every week across the country. Um, and again, they're led by other members. So it's a real sort of grassroots organization. And and so, yeah, it, we, you get a lot out of membership, supporting our charitable cause, but also, as I said, access to, to group walks. And also, if you want to go out on your own to, to a whole amazing walks library and a magazine and, and, and lots of different things like that. So um so yeah, I would encourage anyone to to become a member. It's you know it's it's about thirty five pounds a year. So you know it's it, it's not a great amount, but it, every single penny and pound really contributes to the to the work that we do um, to to protecting public rights of way and making sure that we've got an amazing path network for the whole public. So thirty five pounds a year is is a bargain, but actually we have got a special discount at the moment. So listeners to this podcast can get fifteen percent off your Ramblers membership. So if you're interested in that, if you head over to the offers page on the Cicerone website, it's cicerone.co.uk forward slash offers, and you can see all the details there. I mean, I, I get the feeling that we could just talk for ages. This is it's such an important thing. You know, protecting people's access to the outdoors is is something that I believe in really, really strongly. And like I said, everybody has benefited from the work that you do at one time or the other if they've been walking on a public footpath. So it's lovely to hear more about the work that the Ramblers do and I hope this encourages people to get involved in some way, whether that is a one-off donation or a membership or volunteering or even reminding me to report that problem to the local council. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Thank you very much. It's been great. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of Footnotes, the Cicerone podcast. Let us know what you think by leaving reviews on your podcast platform or by emailing us at live at cicerone.co.uk. I'd love to hear from you. To keep up to date with the podcast, you can follow or subscribe on your favourite podcast app or provider. You can also listen on the Cicerone website, cicerone.co.uk, where you can browse our full range of guidebooks, read plenty of articles or sign up to our newsletter. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. In the meantime, search for Cicerone Press on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And you can also join our Facebook community group, Cicerone Connect, to connect with other outdoor enthusiasts. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you soon.